So I want to read to you today from uh, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Could I read that uh, little couple of verses just again? Because people write books just on those two verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? This connection with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. But the theme of celebrating goes on into the next couple of verses. And this is where I want us to go today. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, again, lots and lots of deep things being talked about there. Um, could I sort of kick this off a wee bit by uh, talking about uh, a roller coaster ride? Uh, Keenan roller coasters? Yeah. Yes, okay. I avoid them at all costs, right? Uh, I've for many years have taken my children to them uh, and have paid for them to go on it and have the lives frightened out of them. Uh, but oh, and Janice loves a good roller coaster too. Uh, but I will not even contemplate getting on those things. But nonetheless, uh, I'm going to use it as an illustration for what we're talking about this morning. Whenever you get into the roller coaster, and quite often these days, you see if you get these things down over the top of you, that usually means you're going to be upside down at some point, right? When they strap something around you, that's probably you're going to do a lot of that. But um, when the things come over, you're, you're, aren't you? You're going, you're going to be doing all sorts of things. But there is that point of the roller coaster, because I have been on, the reason I don't go on them is I have been on one or two way back. Uh, and... You put this thing round your belt, round your tummy, or over the top of you, um, and for a moment or two you feel quite safe because as it starts to go, uh, it's usually flat, isn't it? You know, it uh, it fools you by taking you slowly. You've got to work your way off the the place where everybody got on, and then it usually goes up, and you're thinking this is lovely, and you're looking out sideways and enjoying the view and everything that's going to happen, and then without any warning at all, of course, it it throws you over the other side. But the roller coaster of life, just like the roller coaster in the fun park, begins with that feeling safe, feeling contented, going slowly, going along the flat, and then realizing you're starting to go up a hill. And I think many of our experiences of life, whether it's a new job, a new relationship, a new place to live, a new church to come to, uh, a new stepping out in faith, a new uh, deepening our faith, there, there's always a moment at the beginning of that that this feels like such a good idea. Uh, it feels like I've got into the, the little truck or the little carriage 
uh, I'm safely in. They've checked that I'm safe. It's all good. There's a wee bit of this, but very soon you begin to realize, oh, there's a bit of uphill with this. And then before you know it, you're being thrown all over the place. Isn't that our experience of life? Uh, and it happens with anything and everything, uh, whether it is job or family or a new beginning or a new home or uh, anything like that. It eventually, you begin to realize this is a roller coaster. Now, the question for us is, how do we respond? And how do we keep true to what it was that we thought we were starting? Yeah? And this is about our faith, but you can translate this into our lives in all sorts of ways. Um, we had Aris with us yesterday uh, for a few hours, uh, along with her mommy, that's our daughter, of course, Rachel. Um, and Rachel kind of sat down and said, oh, this is so hard. There is so much energy required. And the roller coaster thing did come into my mind. Yes, it seemed like such a good, and it is a good thing, of course. Uh, but once you're on the roller coaster, uh, you're on it. Uh, it isn't easy to get off it. In fact, you should definitely attempt not to get off it once you're on a roller coaster. Way back in the summer, when I sort of introduced some of the thinking for this and mentioned Laura Muir, the Scottish athlete, uh, and tried to think back to her last summer was this incredible summer of these three international global championships that she took part in that her coach thought no one can do. But a year before, they decided to set up a new program uh, for her, her training, her training companions, her psychology, her diet, everything that would get her there. And so at times when I'm preparing this, I kind of think back to what must it have been like a year ago now for Laura Muir as she launched into this campaign of changing her lifestyle and everything about her to try to, to get to where she wanted to be. And I did think around this sort of time, end of October, the, the joy of going out and running in the sunshine and training in the beauty and glories of along the sides of the rivers where she lives and everything else is beginning to get harder. It's getting darker. It's getting colder. She has a job as well. So she's having to fit this in. Things, the strains and stresses of life are pushing in around her. What is it that's going to keep her going when she looks out and it's miserable? and realizes I have to run 15 miles today, and I'm going to do it all eating muesli, yeah, and drinking just waters and juices, and yeah. There must have been moments when she thought, how do I keep this going? What are the challenges in keeping going? Now, let me show you this. I, I bought this a wee while ago in a, uh, in a sale, for no other reason than it was an old comic. And I didn't realize when I bought it, 21st of November, 1952. It's not long after the Queen became Queen. Uh, and when you read the adverts inside, you, could, you get a picture of the world that she lived in. Stanley Matthews football boots. <laughs> okay, that meant that's, this won't mean a whole lot. Half of you are thinking, I've no idea any of this. Dan Dare, there's a story on the front of this. Uh, it reminded me, I partly picked it up because it reminded me of the comics that I used to read because comics weren't always full of pictures. 
And, oh, oh, I ripped it. That'll not matter. <laughs> Look, I ripped it. <laughs> you know, it was ripped before I got it. Can I just say? <laughs> Let me put it down. If anybody wants to come and look at it, or sorry, if anybody even wants to come and take it away, you're more than welcome, because it, uh, it's not a family heirloom or anything like this. I just picked it up in a sale. I said, sure, throw that in. It was about tenpence. Uh, but stories. I, I used to get a comic called The Wizard, uh, and some of the stories were just written. They weren't, they weren't cartoon pictures. And there's one of the stories, now we're talking here, I'm 65, say I was about 10. We're talking 55 years ago. I remember clearly one of the stories, and I'm going to tell you what it was because it fits with this roller coaster. It was of a Scottish uh, Monarch of the Glen is the closest I can think of. So it was, uh, uh, and of course this was back in the days when it was all about uh, big strong men. And he was the laird or was the person who was going to inherit whatever a laird would inherit, the glen, I suppose, the castle, the grounds, the estate and everything else. Uh, but written into the, uh, uh, just for the sake of the story, no doubt, written into the agreement was uh, that he had to um, he had to uh, compete and defeat the local Scottish Highland Games champion. Uh, and that's what this story was about. So this young man who had inherited all of this had 12 months from the death of the one before him uh, to get to the point where he could challenge, uh, compete with and defeat the local Scottish Highland Games champion. And he went to meet this person who's a giant. Yeah and tosses kibbers and throws rocks and everything else. And uh, it's written into the agreement that this young man has a year to either defeat this person himself or find one who can. Does that sound like a good start to a story? So every week was another story of how this young man went off to another village where he had been told there is a great champion. And if you can talk him into, he might be the one to defeat this person, right? So every week, for weeks and weeks and weeks, um, we read another story of how he went. And so uh, I remember some of them. He went to a village um, where they were building houses. And uh, uh, the champion who was working away at chopping trees down and dragging logs said to the guy, I'll, I'll consider this uh, if you give us a hand. So the story is all about how this young man starts to chop down trees and cuts them into logs and cuts the branches off them and drags them along the ground, helps to build the houses and everything else. But by the end of the story, he realizes that he is dragging more logs than the champion. So he thinks this isn't the one. So the next week, he goes off to another village, and the stone bridge over the river has collapsed. And the champion says, um, I will consider being your champion for you if you help me fix the bridge. So this story is all about him lugging rocks, building them into the arch of the bridge and everything else. But by the end of the story, he realizes he is lugging around bigger rocks than the champion. So that's no good. And on, you can imagine this story going on. The next champion is trying to plough a field, but his horse has died. So he asks him, would you drag the plough for me? And he ends up dragging the plough and realises that he's stronger than the champion. Another one was he had to swim across to an island and rescue people. And the champion said, I'm going to have to go and rescue this family because the boat has sunk and we need to get them back to shore. Would you help? And he ends up swimming faster. You can see how this is working out, can you? 
By the end of the 12 months, when he goes back and admits to the Scottish Highland Games champion, uh, I could not find one to compete with you, so I'm going to have to do it myself. But by now he is the champion. Because every challenge has made him stronger. Every time it feels like it's going wrong. It's like it builds something into him. Because rather than running away from it, he feels he has to live in it. And it's partly because he has a greater end in sight. So it wasn't really that he wanted to chop down trees or build bridges or swim across locks or whatever, but that he was looking towards an inheritance. So the sun comes up another wee bit. I very cleverly tried to make the sun a bit higher in each of these pictures as we go along. Is that good? You wouldn't have noticed that, sure you wouldn't? <laughs> right. Not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let me take you to... Um, the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. This is the list of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David who was a descendant of Abraham. From Abraham to King David, there were 14 generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Zerah, Tamar, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Rahab, Obed, Ruth, Jesse, and King David. From David to the time when the people of Israel were taken into exile, we've talked about exile lots, the following ancestors listed, there were 14 generations. David, Solomon, Bathsheba, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin. And that gets you to, oh, it doesn't get you to anybody, right? And then from the time after the exile in Babylon to the birth of Jesus, 14 more generations. Jehoiachin, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Abia, Delachim, Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliad, Eleazar, Mathan, Jacob, and Joseph. And Joseph, who married Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus who was called the Messiah. 14 generations, some very important stories in there. 14 generations, 14 generations, and you end up with a teenage girl who, in a moment of sheer madness, woven into sheer faith, said to an angel, yes, let it be to me according to the way God wants it to be. That night must have felt like strapping on the seatbelt at the bottom of the roller coaster. It hadn't started to go uphill quite yet, although I'm sure she imagined this must be going to go uphill. Of course, she wouldn't have known about roller coasters. But um, the idea that, yeah, well, what else can I do if this is going to be the child of God? She steps into the journey of this. I wonder at that point, did she know that um, sort of family tree? That includes Abraham and David and Ruth and um, Solomon and 
told all sorts of uh, stories of people. But it lands on her plate, and she is, starts her part of the journey. And before you know it, she's on a roller coaster. She has to withstand the criticism of her village and her culture. She has to give birth to this child after a long journey in a lean-to barn kind of shed, somewhere in a back alley of a town which is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. She then barely has given birth to this child. It's only a little toddler. When she has to run from the slaughter of all the children in that area, organized by the highest authority in the land, King Herod. She then has to live in exile in Egypt as refugees with her husband and son in a foreign land, not knowing the language or the culture or anything. And then when they eventually make their way back to Israel, she has to try to imagine what this is her son is talking about as a 12-year-old when he talks about being about his father's business. Mary, who then went on, uh, it's, her son is now in his early 30s. She's at a wedding, and she knows things about her son, and this wedding is going very badly wrong, and she almost pushes Jesus into the beginning of his ministry. It's described as his first miracle and the first sign of who he is. And then Mary then travels around with this group of disciples for the next three years. And the last we see of her is the Easter Passover weekend when she's standing weeping on a hill watching her son being executed just for being the child that God had promised to her that he would become. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has poured out within has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Could we say these words again that we said at the beginning? We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and defenses. Open the gates that the righteous who keep the faith may enter in. You will keep them in perfect peace, whose minds are rested on you. Trust in the Lord forever, for our rock of ages is the Lord. These, these words, some of you will know them as a canticle called Herbs Fortitudinous, uh, which means strong city. Uh, but they're from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah wrote these words to those who had been taken off into exile. As we've heard, when the prophets were speaking to the people who'd been taken into exile, they had watched their city destroyed, this roller coaster that they were living on, where they saw the walls flattened, they saw their temple destroyed, and they were scattered in far corners of the known earth at the time. And they had to reimagine and cling to faith in a way that had never been expected of them before. And Isaiah sends this message out. They wrote these messages down. They would have been sent out with travelers around the, the, this 
invading empire and to little clusters of, uh, of Hebrews, of Israelites, who had started to form themselves into things called synagogues. They invented synagogues dotted all over the place, all over the world. And they used to gather there, and these things would have been read out to them. And these words of the prophet Isaiah sent to them from Jerusalem that was no longer a strong city. It had been flattened. He says in these words, we have a strong city, but it's salvation in God that are the walls and the bulwarks. I heard some people say bulwarks was the old word for defenses. That it's our salvation. It's our relationship with God and in God that is now the strong city. Open the gates of the city that the righteous who keep the faith, who live in faith, may find the strength of this city. And then he talks about God, you will keep them, in, or to God, you will keep them in perfect peace, whose minds are rested or stayed on you. And then to the people, trust in the Lord forever, for a rock of ages is the Lord. There's no way of knowing but I could imagine that these were the sorts of words that the young Mary would have known about. We have a strong city. Its walls and its defenses are our relationship with God. And when we're on that roller coaster, when it feels like it could all be falling in around us, we find ourselves in a world at the minute that is like a roller coaster. And without having to ignore the fact that we have to help people who can't afford their heat or whatever the things are, we need to support people who find themselves in wars and everything else, it, we can end up feeling that the world has got too much for us. That, that it's overwhelming. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I just want to lock myself away in front of a movie and some nice food and hope that it, try and pretend it's not all happening. And of course we have to do things like that. But there is also something about wanting to be strong in the midst of this. To realize that we still have a strong city, even if it's no longer found in the politics and the economy and in what I've got and what I can afford and everything else. We still have a strong city. It's the salvation in God is where we find our walls and our defenses. Perfect peace by having our minds rested, stayed on God. I, this probably not addressed you at all. I like the fact that the verb in French to stay is reste, and that staying is about resting in. Somehow or other finding time in our lives to be rested in God stayed in him.